0: I'd like to ask everybody to turn in their Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And I guess after about, what, nine, ten weeks on the fruit of the Spirit, we shouldn't even have to open our Bibles anymore to read it. But if you still turn there anyway, we'll do that. Uh, And if you would stand with me as we read the Word of God together. Father, we ask you to open our eyes to your word this morning, Lord, that we pray that, uh, that your word would be clear to us, God, that you would speak uh, through your word, that we would be receptive to what it has to say for us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is Galatians chapter 5, uh, 22, to the end of the chapter. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let us walk also by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. Now, many of you know that I have uh, two uh, beautiful, sweet little young daughters at home. Uh, we have a four-and-a-half-year-old, and we have a two-year-old. And if you've ever been around children at all, you know that they can say some very interesting things. Uh, my, my father-in-law has built uh, each of my daughters their own bookshelves um, that he built up in Ohio and brought down. Uh, he brought uh, Caitlin's down when she was two, and so when Anna turned two he built her a bookshelf as well. Now, Kalen's was a little dollhouse bookshelf. I mean, it, took, it filled up the entire bed of his pickup truck. It, it, it's, it's massive. It's large. And it you know got three shelves and has the, has the roof on top. And it's got little doorways and windows in it. Um, and it takes up almost the, the entire wall of, of uh, one of her walls in, the, in her room. And so because he had to be fair, and that's what grandparents have to do, right, is that he had to build a bookshelf for Anna, and her bookshelf, she was asking for ideas, and he came up with this idea of a castle bookshelf. And it's got like two little towers on the side. It's also three stories. It's got like a, like a little platform area in between. So you can do bookshelf and they can do dolls. And, and as, as we're bringing it into the house, Kaylin is kind of moping around. And I said, Kaylin, what's wrong? And she just kind of looks defiantly and says, You know, dad, that's so kidditch. And I said, uh, I'm sorry? that's kidditch. I said, well, what what is kidditch? Well, that's the word you say when your sister has a nicer bookshelf than you. (laughs) Okay, I never knew there was a word for that. And, uh, you know, she was so confident that that's what uh, she said. Well, today we're going to talk about faithfulness. And one of the words that that associates in our minds, we think of faithfulness, at least for me, is marriage. Um, And so I found, and I I hate these things normally, just to tell you, like a a chain email, right, that sends out all the stuff and people pass around to each other. Uh, But there's this awesome one of written by kids all about marriage. Okay, so if you will just kind of humor me, um, how do you decide who to marry? This is Alan, age 10. He says, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. Okay, Uh, Kristen, she's 10, also 10, says, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. (laughs) Okay, Uh, what's the right age to get married? Uh, Camille, age 10, said, 23 is the best age because you know the person forever by then. Uh, how can you tell? How can a stranger tell if two people are married? You might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same time. <laughs> That's from Derek, age eight. Um, what do you think your mom and dad both have in common? Uh, Lori, age eight, said both don't want any more kids. <laughs> Lynette, age eight, what what do most people do on a date? Dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other, even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. Okay. Um, on the first date, this is Martin, age 10, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. What would you do on a first date that was turning sour? This is Craig, age 9. I'd run home and play dead. The next day, I would call all the newspapers and make sure they all wrote about me in all the dead columns. Um, This is a a great one. When is it okay to kiss someone? Pam, age 7, said, when they're rich. (laughs) Kurt, age 7, says, the law says you have to be 18, so I wouldn't want to mess with that. Uh, The rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them. It's the right thing to do. Howard, age 8. Uh, is it better to be single or married? It's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in these things. Um, the, the last one, it says, how would you make a marriage work? Ricky, age 10, said, tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> so. So, so faithfulness, okay? Faithfulness. This is one of those fruit of the Spirit that goes along with everything else that we've been talking about. And the fruit of the Spirit, right, it's, it's a singular thing. There's, there's these nine different aspects of it, but it, it manifests all of them together. So we're not just given one, we're given all. Faithfulness, this is contrasted with some of the words that we found earlier, which are like cunning and deceit and falsehood. It means trustworthiness and loyalty and steadfastness. And we know that Christians are called to faithfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses one, through one, 1 and 2 says, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So how should one regard a Christian as a steward of Christ, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God? And a steward, what is required of them, that they be found faithful. When the apostles were looking for some people to handle some of, their, some of these important tasks that they had in, in the book of Acts, uh, there were some, some widows, some ladies that weren't receiving the food that they were supposed to get, and they had to appoint uh, seven people, we call them deacons, uh, Stephen being among them. And Stephen gets this um, designation That he was a man full of faithfulness and of the Holy Spirit. So faithfulness and the Holy Spirit go together. They go hand in hand. That that these two things, the fruit of the Spirit, is a result of the Spirit. So sometimes we could say, like, you know, I want to have more faithfulness. But faithfulness is a result of the Spirit of God working in us. It goes hand in hand. And so if we want faithfulness, we've got to kind of turn And go, how do we start with this? Well, faithfulness starts with the small things. Okay, it starts with the small things. If you would turn in your Bible to Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, we find this amazing and challenging parable that that Jesus tells And it's just referred to as the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. So, Matthew 25, this is 14, verse 14. We'll start there. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once. "'and and traded with them, and he made five talents more. "'So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, "'but he who had received the one talent went "'and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. "'Now after a long time, the master of those servants "'came and settled accounts with them, "'and he who had received the five talents came forward, "'bringing five talents more, saying, "'Master, you delivered to me five talents. "'Here I have made five talents more.' "'His master said to him, "'Well done, good and faithful servant.' Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you, know, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has... Will more be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. so we get this incredibly challenging parable of Jesus, and in it this whole parable is about is the idea of of faithfully stewarding or taking care of something that 's not ours. This whole thing is about faithfulness. It's all about faithfulness. And and we see that it starts with small things. What does Jesus say? What does the master say? He says, you have been faithful over what? A little. And I will make you faithful over much. You know, how many of us have grown frustrated with things that have been slow to result in our life? You know, how many of us have have desired something, but have been so dis- so frustrated by something that we wanted, but, but we didn't get it right away. You know, for us, we want instant progress. We want to start working at something and then to, to have it. You know, uh, somebody had commented uh, last week, they were cutting down the bushes in the backyard, and Randy was out there with an axe and a chainsaw, and he was chopping down trees, and, you know, someone said, oh, that's just a, such a faithful pastor that you have. Now, don't let me correct you. He's a great pastor. But you know what? He loves that stuff. It's like, it's like sickening. He, he will go out in 100-degree heat and chop wood for fun. It, it, you know, why do we like to do stuff like that? Why does Randy like to do stuff like that? Well, it's, it's cathartic. Um, and you get to see your immediate results, right? You get to see the more time I spend chopping wood, the bigger my stack of wood's going to be. And yet, our life isn't always like that, especially our spiritual lives as things are sometimes slow to develop, or we see maybe we want something that we just can't quite have yet, and we've got to be faithful until that time. You know, what What happened, uh, you know, earlier this decade um, with the financial crisis in the United States? You know, uh, people have been blaming this, I think rightfully so, on the millennial generation. And what's wrong with the millennials? Well, One of the big things is they see the things that their parents have now, and so they mortgage everything in order to get now what it took their parents 20, 30, 40, 50 years sometimes to get. You know, we want progress and results now, but God says that faithfulness starts with the small things. It starts with the small things. You know, one of the worst things for us in our lives is to have instant success in something. I took my daughter, Kaylin, out fishing. I think I told you this story before. Very first cast, she catches a fish. I mean, it's been four seconds since the worm has been on the hook, and she's got a fish dangling on her rod. Do you know how, how interested she was the rest of the day to sit there and wait for her next bite? You know, she's off running around. She's, like, playing with the worms. and They're all getting married. and You know, but <laughs> the worst thing that could have happened to her is now she thinks, every time I put a fish on a worm on a hook, that means I have a fish. So sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us, it's the same way we get a little bit of success and it can ruin us because we think that's just the natural result. You know, all I have to do is put in a little bit of work and I'm going to get what I want. Oswald Chambers has this amazing quote where he talks about uh, our spiritual progress with God. He said, he says this, that God works where he sends us to wait. Waiting is not sitting with folded hands doing nothing, but it is learning to do what we are told, that God works where he has sent us to wait. How many of you like waiting? Nobody. How many of you like going to, to somewhere, we were just at Disney World a few weeks ago, and... I will tell you, if you like standing around in the hot sun for hours at a time, waiting to, to ride a little 30-second ride, Disney World is the place for you. For most people, that's not something that's incredibly desirable. Now, I'm, it's, it's, it, we had a great time out there. But God works where he sends us to wait. Psalm 37, three. if you would turn there. Psalm 37.3. This is just one verse. I'll say this: if you if you remember nothing else from this from this sermon, remember this verse. Psalm thirty seven three says, "Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land." and befriend faithfulness. I, I love the way the New American Standard has it. The Pew Bibles have this verse. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and what? Cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness. You know what cultivate means, right? Cultivate means to work it. This is a, this is an agricultural farming term. To cultivate a field is to work the field, it's to plow the field, it's to sow the field, it's to weed the field, it's to water the field, it's to harvest the field. And this is a time-consuming process. That's why Psalm says cultivate faithfulness. This is a time-consuming process that's all about the little things. It's all about the small things and it's labor-intensive. Farming is not easy. That's why nobody wants to farm. Okay? Well, people like to farm still. No offense to the Darwins over here. But, you know, people like to farm, but it's not an easy thing. Cultivating faithfulness is not an easy thing. And all faithfulness, all faithfulness, all of our material and worldly faithfulness all flows out of and starts from our godly faithfulness. Do I desire to be a faithful spouse? Do you desire to be a faithful parent, a faithful friend, a faithful child? It all starts with being faithful with the Lord. It all starts there. And faithfulness is proved over time. Okay, it's proved over time. You see, how long was the master gone? It says a long time. The master had left for a long time. He left him a task and then he came back later. Faithfulness is proved over time. Now, I was hearing this week about this company in Seattle. Maybe you heard of them. Um, I don't remember the exact name, but they're a credit card processing company. And they decided to up their minimum starting salary. Do you hear about this? To $70,000. Okay, which almost all of the employees were super happy about, but not all of them. And you're thinking, why in the world wouldn't everybody be happy about making close to six figures? Well, some people... Had been there a long time. And they had already been making more than that, and they had put in their time, they had put in their work, only to see the people that are just starting out making now close to what they've been making after years. You know, faithfulness is proved over time. They weren't happy that these people who had not yet proven themselves faithful were making nearly what they had made. They didn't see, they didn't bump up everybody else correspondingly, they just upped the bottom. How frustrating is that? They'd worked there for years and years and years. They said, we want every employee to, you know, if you have a wife, they want to stay at home. Your family will be taken care of. You don't worry about it. Everybody else is going, what about us? You know, we've proven faithful. They haven't. If we think biblically, the Old Testament to the, the story of Joseph. And Joseph is, anybody know how old he was when he was sold into slavery by his brothers? It's about 17. And it's not until he's About 30 years old, that he becomes kind of the the prime minister, if you will, of Egypt. 13 years of time where he's a slave, where he's toiling, uh, where he's put in prison. 13 years. That's a long time. Faithfulness is demonstrated over time, and yet Joseph never compromises in his faith. He never blames God for where he was. And another thing. You know, keep on the marriage analogy. I can't prove my faithfulness to my wife in a day. You know, you don't ask your, the, the couples that just got back from their honeymoon if they have a faithful spouse, right? You want to talk to them maybe 5, 10, 20 years down the road. Then they'll be able to tell you a little bit about their, about their faithfulness. Faithfulness takes time. And faithfulness is also proved when no one else is watching. Okay, that's when faithfulness is proved, when nobody else is watching. To go back to our farmer analogy, a farmer doesn't wait for people to come and watch him before he starts to work his farm, does he? You know, he doesn't wait until harvest time when people come and want to buy crops from him to go out and start working the field. If he waits that long, then it's too late. He's going to have nothing. We see biblically that Jesus often goes out by himself to pray. He goes and he leaves his disciples and he would go on top of a mountain or he would go out in a boat or he would just go to be alone cultivating his faithfulness to the Lord, spending time alone when no one else is watching. And my faithfulness to God is not dependent on my present circumstances. This is another important thing that the Bible teaches us over and over again. Faithfulness is not dependent on our circumstances. You can look at the story of Joseph. You can look at the story of Job. You can look at the story of Daniel or Ruth and Naomi. But, but faithfulness is not dependent upon circumstances biblically. But to the world, faithfulness is sort of a reciprocal thing. I'll be faithful to you if you are faithful to me. Or I'll be faithful to you as long as I'm happy and my needs are met. That's what faithfulness means oftentimes to the world. There's a 2009 study published in the journal uh, called Cancer. It's a medical journal. found that a married woman diagnosed with a serious disease is six times more likely to be divorced or separated than a man with a similar diagnosis. And among study participants, the divorce rate was 21% for seriously ill women and 3% for seriously ill men. The controlled group divorced at a rate of 12%. One quarter, nearly a quarter of men, split when their wives needed them the most. This is the idea of worldly faithfulness, and you can almost hear the excuses start right away, like, well, you don't understand. I I, I just wasn't able to do it. I couldn't couldn't deal with it emotionally, or I didn't know how to take care of her. She would have been better by herself. The Bible just answers back, no, you don't understand. This woman that you pledged your life to, that you promised to be there in sickness and in health, when it gets hard, you split? That's what worldly faithfulness looks like. There's this difference between worldly and biblical faithfulness. And biblical faithfulness is something, it's not very common. Okay, it's, it's not a common thing. Kind of going off of, off of that study, there's a man named Robertson McGilkin. You may have heard of him. He's written several um, articles. He's written a book. Uh, He was a president of Columbia um, Bible College and its graduate seminary. He'd been there for quite a while. Uh, His wife started developing early early onset Alzheimer's. A good many of his colleagues, even some of his Christian friends, had encouraged him. You know, Robertson, your, your wife is important, but the Lord is more important to you. The job that you have is more important than, than your family. Um, your serving God is more important than your family, so we really think, you know, that you ought to find someone else to take care of her or find for her a place to go. And he said so he thought about it and prayed about it, and he realized that God had called him first and foremost to care for his wife. So he resigned his position uh, in 1990. In 1993, his wife stopped recognizing him. On September 20th of 2003, his wife died at the age of 81, and he had taken care of her full time for 13 years. For 13 years. And he wrote in his book, he said, this was no grim duty to which I stoically resigned. However, he said, it was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn, and such a partner she was. If I took care of her for 40 years, I would never be out of her debt. Okay, this is uncommon faithfulness. Now, I, I understand, and some of us might be thinking, that's that's crazy. You know, he had every right. He did have every right to do whatever he wanted, whatever he needed to do, but he felt that God was calling him to show faithfulness to his wife. So for 13 years, he took care of her full time. B.B. Uh, Warfield is another Uh, He's another theologian. He he wrote some great books back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He wrote extensively on the inerrancy of Scripture. And a lot of what we have today uh, from the Reformed uh, conservative faith tradition is based on some of the stuff that B.B. Warfield wrote. He had a very similar experience happen to him. 1876, at the age of 25, he married his wife and they took a honeymoon to Germany. On their honeymoon during a fierce storm, his wife was struck by lightning and permanently paralyzed. Okay. He then spent the rest of their marriage without going away from her for more than 2 hours at a time, and he did this for 39 years. He was the faculty at he was a prestigious faculty at one of the most renowned seminaries in the world who was fully devoted to caring for his wife for almost 4 decades. See, unlike the story of Joseph who suffered but but then was exalted, we have stories of these men. There was no kingship at the end for them, only spectacular patience and the faithfulness of a man and a woman through decades of marriage that was never planned, or at least not planned by men. This is the uncommon faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. This is something that you don't see every day. And how do we know faithfulness? We know it by great examples like men like this. And obviously we could tell you that there have been great, far greater examples of women who have stuck with their men because women just do that. They, they stand by them. But we know faithfulness first and foremost because God is faithful. Last week Randy talked about that, that God, who is good alone? God. We see who is faithful alone? It's God. If you would turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, this is like the very end of the book. This is right before um, what's called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The rider of the white horse is, of course, Jesus. We see that his name is faithful and true. His name is the word of God. His name is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But faithful and true, that's who God is is, faithful and true. Lamentations 3.22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We see all throughout the Old Testament that God is faithful in keeping after His people, these people that He has rescued time and time again, only to see them fall into unfaithfulness, to him, and yet he keeps providing an escape. He keeps providing a way out. He keeps turning their hearts back towards himself only to see them turn away. Here's a final thought for us today. And this is probably my favorite thought. God's faithfulness to me is not dependent on my faithfulness to God. Okay, God's faithfulness to us is not dependent on our faithfulness to God turn just back just a little bit to 2nd Timothy chapter 2 2nd Timothy chapter 2 11 11 through 13 Paul writes he says the saying is trustworthy For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So if we are faithless, God remains faithful. God's faithfulness is not dependent on my faithfulness to him. If I have been faithless, if I have failed God, if I have failed my spouse, if I have failed my family, if I have failed in the calling that God has given to me, God is still faithful. And He can still work in our lives through the Holy Spirit to cultivate this faithfulness. But it all starts on our knees. Faithfulness starts with the little things. It starts with the small things spiritually. It starts with prayer In scripture reading, it starts with worship. It starts with spending time with the Lord. It starts with faithful stewardship. It starts with giving and serving. And all these little things, This cultivate the faithfulness that God has given to us. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. I think we all want that. We all desire that. We all want to hear... The Master say to us at the end, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Lord, this fruit that you desire from our lives is, God, it is something that is God, it's hard. It's difficult. Lord, it's something that seems almost impossible to us. Lord, and there are so many difficult times in our life where it is so hard to be faithful to you in the midst of the circumstances that are present. And yet, Lord, we know that you are there with us. God, that you are always faithful to us even when we are faithless to you. God, we're encouraged by the word of Oswald Chambers again when he says, God does not give, not, give us, not give us, give us, gives us life as we overcome. The strain of life is what builds our strength. If there is strain, there will be no strength. Our temptation is to face adversities from the standpoint of our own common sense, but a saint can be of good cheer even when seemingly defeated by adversities, because victory is absurdly impossible to everyone except to you. Lord, work in our lives, we pray. Father, open our eyes to the, to the areas, the small things, Lord, where we are not faithful to you. Lord, that we would begin to cultivate that and work at that in our lives, God, so that we could see the progress that we want to see. Lord, whether we're, we're frustrated by growth in our, our spiritual lives, or we're fr- frustrated, by, frustrated by growth in our relationships, or Lord, we're, we're just frustrated by our growth in general. So we ask that you would give us the strength, give us the eyes, uh, give us your spirit to be faithful to you wherever we are and wherever you have placed us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.